So this is uh, one of these unique um, moments that we have where we're together on Zoom uh, like we were on Good Friday, and yet there are many who are watching on YouTube, and so we're streaming this live to YouTube, and, and this is where we're grateful for some of the things that can be done uh, with technology. And uh, so whether you're on Zoom or whether you're on YouTube, uh, thank you for joining in today. It is different today. Um, because of the technology, we can do these two things at once, but we are keeping the service simple. So, uh, so I'm not going to sing for you today either, but I do want to um, bring you some good news. And, uh, and it's really um, connected with what we're looking at in this new series about an unrivaled Jesus. And the good news that I want to share with you this morning is this. Um, with Jesus, there are no insignificant people. And a group of people who are committed to following Jesus are never insignificant in what they accomplish. And, and I think that that is really good news, that, that each of us, that you need to hear today, that with Jesus, there are no insignificant people. And if there's a group of people who are committed to following Jesus, it doesn't matter how small they are. God celebrates that, and he, he uses that with that group. And so that thought is what leads me into leading us to reading uh, from the first chapter in Colossians today. And earlier this week, I sent out a video and invited you, uh, if you're tracking with us, to read the, the book of Colossians. And if you haven't done that, I would just encourage you um, through this week to read through this letter in the New Testament. If you, if you don't have a Bible, do email us and uh, we will get one to you. But you can always go online and read it as well. And uh, this is an amazing little short letter. It's four chapters. It will probably take you 10 minutes <clears throat> to read through it. And yet it is packed full of this wonderful good news. And so I want to read just the first 14 verses for us this morning and invite you to listen along or you can read along if you want. I'm reading from uh, the New Living Translation. And uh, I often read from it because I find that people appreciate um, just the style of writing. It makes, uh, it makes the scriptures uh, more accessible and easy to understand for some people. But whatever translation you have will be fine. So here we go. This letter is from Paul chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and from our brother Timothy. We are writing to God's holy people in the city of Colos, who are faithful brothers and sisters in Christ. May God our Father give you grace and peace. We always pray for you, and we give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, for we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and your love for all of God's people, which come from your confident hope of what God has reserved for you in heaven. You have had this expectation ever since you first heard the truth of the good news. And that same good news that came to you is going out all over the world. It is bearing fruit everywhere by changing lives, just as it changed your lives from the day you first heard and understood the truth about God's wonderful grace. You learned about the good news from Epaphras, our beloved co-worker. He is Christ's faithful servant, and he is helping us on your behalf he has told us about the love for others that the Holy Spirit has given you. So we have not stopped praying for you since we first heard about you. And we ask God to give you complete knowledge of his will and to give you spiritual wisdom and understanding. And then the way you live will always honor and please the Lord and your lives will produce every kind of good fruit. All the while, you will grow as you learn to know God better and better. And we also pray that you will be strengthened with all his glorious power so that you may have all the endurance and patience you need. 
May you be filled with joy, always thanking the Father. He has enabled you to share in the inheritance that belongs to his people who live in the light. For he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. So that's Paul's introduction as he writes to these people, the, this group of Christians in a city named Coloss. Uh, and to help you visualize it, if you were to think of the modern day Turkey and the west coast of Turkey, if you just went in about 100 kilometers um, east uh, from that west coast, um, you'd come to a place called the Lycus Valley. And in the Lycus Valley, there were three cities, Kolos, Laodicea, and Hierapolis. And, um, and I want to give you a little bit of background because I think it helps understand this letter as you read it. Uh, this was a valley that um, had a lot of resources, so there was a lot of wealth in the valley. And Kolos, uh, hundreds of years before Christ, was a very prominent city. And uh, it uh, had a lot of wealth, and it was a growing city. And there were two other cities very close to it, Laodicea and Hierapolis. And um, as you come into the first century, Kolos is starting to decline. So is, as a city, it's not, it's not growing, it's actually declining. And Laodicea is becoming the new banking center uh, with a lot of wealth. It's about 10 kilometers from Kolos, and it is growing in prominence in Hierapolis as well. And in about the mid-50s, maybe like 54 AD, so about 20, 25 years after Jesus is crucified and rises from the dead, a young guy named Epaphras goes to this city, and he starts a church. He tells people about Jesus. And a group of people uh, begin believing, and they form together a, a community. And we often think of the church as if it's like our church here in Collingwood. And most of the churches that were in existence uh, in the first century would have been house churches. So you had someone with a, with a large home, maybe a patron, and people gathered there. And it's likely that some of the cities had multiple little congregations that met uh, in different households. And so that congregation started about the mid-50s. Now, what's interesting is this. In AD 60-61, there was a massive earthquake in the region, and it devastated the whole area. And what we read historically is that Laodicea and Hierapolis rebuilt their cities, and Kolos never really gets uh, well-established or re-established after that. So here's the interesting thing about this congregation. And it's not, it's not solid fact, it's conjecture or speculation by some scholars, but it is very possible that the congregation in Kolos really only existed for about a decade. And then after the earthquake, they may have had to move to Laodicea or Hierapolis or other areas. And that's why I said earlier that with Jesus, there are no insignificant people. Epaphras is a guy that we meet only here in Colossians and in the letter of Philemon, which actually you should read together with Colossians because in Philemon, Paul is writing to a guy named uh, Philemon um, about a slave and, and that's actually uh, located in the city of Colossus. And so Epaphras isn't a guy that we really know anything about, but he was faithful in telling people the good news story of Jesus. And what came as a result of that is this group of Christians in Colossus that the Apostle Paul writes this letter to. And this letter is rich with wonderful things for us to explore and to learn about that will help encourage us in our faith with Jesus. 
Now, there's something else I want to uh, draw out before we just jump into this first chapter, and it's this. If you go to verse 1 in Colossians, you read this, that this letter is from Paul. And then at the end of verse 1, and from our brother Timothy. And I think it's a good reminder for us that sometimes when we think about our Bibles, and particularly the New Testament, we think that the Apostle Paul was thinking of a group of people. He sat down and he wrote a letter. And he grabbed his his quill and ink and he grabbed a piece of parchment or papyrus and he just wrote down his letter like we would do today. And that wasn't how it happened in that day. And if you go through and you look at a number of the New Testament letters that the Apostle Paul wrote from Romans through um, to uh, the letter to Titus, uh, you will see that in, in many of them, it's Paul writing and our brother Timothy, or and Timothy and Silas, or Paul and Sosthenes, um, if you went to 1 Corinthians. And so there were people that were partnering with Paul in, in what was being put into these letters. And so I think that that helps sometimes when we think about uh, the background to these. And often the Apostle Paul used what was called, here's your big word for the day, an amenuensis or it's really just a secretary, somebody who was actually skilled at uh, writing, and not everybody could read and write. In fact, most people couldn't when these were being written. Paul was um, literate, but he often used someone else to do the writing for him. And then he'll give a greeting, like in verse 18 at the end of Colossians, here is my greeting in my own hand, yeah, in my own handwriting. And so at the end of that, he tacked on his little signature here. And I think that gives us a richer, more complete uh, understanding of, of kind of the collaborative effort that went into some of these letters uh, of people who were sharing that together. And isn't that a, a beautiful description of how community works in the kingdom that, that so often uh, what we tend to do is we put one person in charge and we say that person's the leader and we're supposed to follow that person. And unfortunately, a lot of the people who end up being in that position uh, they assume that role. I am the person in charge and you should do what I say and follow me. And what happens is you get very toxic, unhealthy communities. And, uh, and what you see in the example of Paul and, and throughout the early church, which are just following the example of Jesus, is this um, community hermeneutic or an ability to discern the will of God together and what God is saying to us together. And so here, Paul and Timothy are, are collaborating to discuss what's going to go in this letter to these Christians to encourage them. And so I wanted to give you that as a little bit of background uh, as we go through these eight weeks. And, uh, and today, you know, as you read through chapter one, you, you pick up on this theme that Paul puts in here again and again about good news. And, uh, and he's describing this good news community. And perhaps that's the, the last thing I want to draw out um, just to help you grasp a little bit about the background here is that this letter wasn't written for you. And I want to say that again. This letter, the letter to Colossians, is not written for you. It was written for a group of Christians in the city of Coloss in and around A.D. 60 or A.D. 59. And I think we have to understand that that we draw out of this uh, what we can learn today, but we also want to know what Paul was meaning, what Timothy was meaning when they wrote to the Christians then. And also, when you're reading this letter, more often than not, when you read the word you, Y-O-U, it is not you singular, it is you plural. Paul is writing to a community, and there's so much in this letter 
about the power of community. And in this case, in chapter one, it's about a good news community. And just the word community in its own is good news. And we recognize that more than ever right now, because I've talked with a lot of you, and most of you are sick of the life that we're living right now, because we can't have the community the way we want community. And I, and, and I know that many of you have a small group of people that you're connected with. And what I've noticed in, uh, as I've read the biblical authors, particularly the, the, the writers of these letters in the New Testament, is this. We need community, but we also need a community of people who are passionate about pursuing Jesus, and we need them in our lives. And perhaps uh, the most beautiful thing about our uh, our freedom to get together in community is not just that we get to be together and, and hang out and talk, because we could do that anytime we want. But when we gather as a community of Jesus followers, we're doing that with the intent of keeping Jesus in our midst, of inspiring one another and encouraging one another in our faith. And so community is such a powerful uh, awareness and understanding in what Paul is writing uh, in all of his letters and particularly in this one. And he describes them as a community of faith and love and hope. And I think that that's a great description of a good news community. As you go through verses three and four, you know, he says, we give thanks for you because we've heard of your faith in Christ, the love that you have for all God's people and your confident hope of what God has reserved for you in heaven. It's a community of good news. And the descriptors of that good news community are, are people that are defined by their faith. And when I say faith, I'm not just talking about, you know, you believe something in your head, but another way of understanding that word is, is a community of faithful people. They are faithful to God. They are faithful to one another and they love people and they put their hope in God. And then Paul shares more about, you know, just the fact that they are a good news community and that good news has affected them, the good news of Jesus. And if you want to know what the good news of Jesus is, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and read the first few verses where Paul says, this is what we pass on to you. Christ Jesus is Lord. He died. He rose from the dead. He ascended to the Father, and he is coming back. And, um, and that, is, that is kind of the defining characteristic of a good news community is that it's centered in Jesus. Not in what we do for the community, not in... Um, how nice we are to each other, but we are a good news community because when people see us, they are, they are pointed towards Jesus. And it doesn't end with us as a community, it ends with Jesus. And then Paul reminds them that as a community, they have been rescued. The verses 13 and 14, Paul says that we have been rescued from the kingdom of darkness and transferred into the kingdom of God's Son who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. And I love that imagery. And it's wonderful for us to be reminded of this, that we are a rescued people. That means we have been saved from that which we couldn't save ourselves. And that could be a whole bunch of different things, like what you um, were wrestling with uh, may be different from what I was wrestling with. But what I know for all of us is that we have been unable to live in a perfect, loving relationship with God and with, with other human beings. And we've been saved from our inability to be that way. 
And we've been saved for being able to share in the perfect love of God that he has within the context of the Trinity and being saved for our ability to love one another. And so we're not just saved from things. We're not just rescued from things. We're rescued for things. And one of those things we're rescued for is for our relationship with God and for our relationship with one another and that we could share that good news with those who have yet to hear it. So we are a good news community. And as you read what Paul is writing to the Colossians, you can, you can see how this is true of our community here in Collingwood, uh, in our New Life family and other congregations, that, that we are more and more becoming a community defined by faithfulness and by love for one another and by the hope that we have in Jesus and what he has done for us. And that's a good news thing. And it's a good news thing that can be lived out and can be shared and can be explained and we are a rescued people, which helps us not to get too up on ourselves about being God's special people, um, because we were incapable of saving ourselves, but what we were incapable of doing, Jesus has done for us. And that's what Paul's reminding the Colossians about, and I think that can be an encouragement for us today. So when you're part of a good news community, and I don't know if you ever thought about this, but um, sometimes you might have thought like, how do I pray for my church? You know, I see these people every week, and, uh, and I don't know how to pray for them. And I think in these first verses, Paul's given us a wonderful template. So I just want to use this as an encouragement for you in how you could pray for, for the church or how you could pray for new life as a congregation. Because when you get to verse 3, the first things Paul says to them is, we always pray for you and we give thanks. And we give thanks. How can you pray for your new life family in the midst of this when we haven't been together for so long and you're aching for people and you heard Carla and Alan share that it's been a difficult two years? One of the first things you can do is you pray for, for your new life family or whether you're praying for the church in general is give God thanks. Thank God for each other. And, uh, and I have just found myself more and more being thankful for, for the people that God has put in my life uh, in this family. And, and I think that's what makes it so hard not to be together. So I came into the church this morning, and, uh, and this building is, is empty. And, uh, and I call the building the church, and I call you the congregation, and I like to make the distinction about that um, very intentionally. But um, the empty building, I, I don't care about the building, but what I miss is is being together with each of you. And I am thankful for each of you. And, uh, and I'm thankful for the stories I'm hearing about how we are still um, being God's people, uh, even though we can't gather the way we want to. So be thankful. And then when you get to verse 9, Paul says, we haven't stopped praying for you since we heard about you, and we ask God to give you complete knowledge of his will and to give you spiritual wisdom and understanding. So not only be thankful for the congregation, but a good way to pray is that, is that God would allow people to know him more. And, and the way that we know God best is just continually to pursue Jesus because he's revealed himself most fully in Jesus. And so pray that we would come to know God more and more that we, as, we, as we get to know Jesus more and more. And as we get to know him more and more, here's the neat thing, 
is the way that we live our daily lives actually is just more and more of what God wants for us anyway. So Paul prays that we would know God's will. And I know I've had this conversation with so many people. What is God's will for me in life? And, and we think that God is up in heaven and he's sitting here like, like this and expecting us, you know, you better get it right or else you're in trouble. And so we spend our times agonizing over what is God's will because I don't want to get it wrong. You know, and here's Paul saying, you know, all the wisdom you need and understanding and, and knowledge uh, is there for you to know what God wants for you. Um, just the, the letter before Colossians in Philippians chapter 2, Paul writing to another group of Christians, he wrote this in verse 13. God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. So, and, and maybe this can, can help you that you know, God is participating with you as you pursue him and get to know him more and more. He is helping you to discern what he wants for you. And so it's not as if he's established what his will is and somehow it's a, a mystery game that you've got to try to figure it out. That God is working with you and he's giving you the desire to do what pleases him. So the closer you are to Jesus, the more you're just doing the things that God wants you doing anyway. And he doesn't leave you hanging there and guessing. And this is where the community comes in and helps you discern that as well. Remember, this is not written to you singular. This is written to you as a community. And the community has so much um, power and help in, in discerning what it is that God wants us to do. Verses 11 and 12, Paul just also prays for strength and endurance. And I think if you want to pray for, for your New Life congregation right now, be thankful Pray that we would get to know Jesus more and more, and then that leads us into living out God's will for us. But also pray for endurance and for strength and for patience, because we all know that we need this right now. Uh, we need patience, and we need strength to get through these times, and we need endurance. And, um, and I think that's just a great way to pray for each other. We are a community of good news people, and that good news is centered in Jesus. It's the kind of good news that Paul says changes lives everywhere and it bears fruit. And, and I think the fruit he's talking about is the fruit of the Spirit that you can read about in Galatians chapter 5, uh, verse 20 and on. It's a good news that shapes communities. And it's a good news that isn't specific to how big or how little we are as a people. Just bringing you back to this small congregation in Colos that resulted in this letter being written, which I think is so powerful. So as we go through the, the next eight weeks, you might be thinking, well, what is Colossians about as I read this letter? What is this book about? And one thing you're going to hear me say over and over again is this, Jesus is Lord. And this letter is about the reality that Jesus is supreme over all other powers and authorities or principalities, not only in this world, but in the universe, the cosmos, and in the spiritual realm. And Paul was writing to a group of Christians that were struggling with influential powers that were, inf like, that were affecting them in how they saw themselves and how they were living out their lives. And he's addressing some of the misconceptions that people were, were living by and what we think affects how we behave. 
And so Paul was addressing some of those things. But preeminent in what he was saying was this, Jesus is Lord. And if Jesus is Lord, that means nothing else can be. Let that sink in for a moment. If Jesus is Lord, no one else can be. And what we hope to do over the next eight weeks is to help you think through what might there be in my life that I am actually placing above Jesus? Because if Jesus is Lord, then I want him to be preeminent or I want him to be unrivaled. And it might be a job, it might be your wealth, it might be a relationship, it, it could be um, any, you fill in the blank and let the spirit of Christ um, work with you in answering that question. But the statement Paul is making is that Jesus is Lord. We'll look at this next week as we get to verse 15 and on. Um, but Jesus is Lord. And then the one other thing I want to draw out as you're reading this letter is the idea in chapter 2 that Paul says Jesus has disarmed the powers and authorities through the cross. And there's this recognition. He's talking about spiritual powers and authorities. There are systemic um, powers in our world and you can have a wonderful conversation about um, whether it's just evil generally or demonic or just the way that humanity um, tends to project itself. But Paul is saying Jesus has triumphed over them. And it's a recognition that there are things that influence us. And so he's addressing some very specific things that they were dealing with at that time. And what we want to do is extrapolate out of this and look at what are the powers that work in our world today? that are influencing us that we maybe haven't even been thinking about and to know that Jesus is Lord even over them. Those are a few of the things. I've got a whole bunch of other things, but um, we'll just cover those over the, over the next eight weeks. And uh, I wanted to give this kind of as an introduction to Colossians and this community of unrivaled good news. And, um, and I pray that uh, the reality that Jesus is Lord will become something that's very powerful for you and, and shaping for you uh, in the coming weeks. And uh, we pray God's rich blessing over you and that as we look at these four chapters, that his spirit uh, will encourage you, will inspire you, minister to you, and, uh, and bring new truth into your life that draws you closer to Jesus and closer to the heart of God for us a good news community. Thanks for joining in today. And um, those of you on YouTube, uh, thank you for, for joining in. Those of you who are on Zoom, uh, we just invite you, if you want, to hang out. We're going to end our stream and, uh, and then just um, chat for a bit and say hi. And, uh, and then um, moms, make sure that um, people pamper you today uh, as best as possible. So God bless. We'll see you next week.